0: Good morning Mendocino County and beyond. You are listening to Wild Oak Living, the program about living and having fun sustainably and building community in Mendocino County and beyond. This is Johanna Wild Oak and I bring you this program every other Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Today we are going to focus on two topics. Um, At 9.20 this morning we're going to be joined by Chuck Collins, who is the author of a fascinating book called The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to Hide Trillions. This is going to be a discussion about wealth inequality and about his own experience in terms of uh in terms of that that subject and what he's trying to do about it too, to uh to help mitigate it. Uh, and and also, we're going to learn about all the people that help all these people who are wealthy to hide their wealth, and and you, we will hear about some of the amazing methods used for that, and why that is an issue for the rest of us. So please stay tuned for that at about nine twenty this morning. But on the in the first twenty minutes of the show, I would like to talk about something that I've talked to about in the past, and that is how to keep pets safe in the heat. We've had our first heat wave, uh, very, very, very early heat wave this year over Memorial Day weekend. Ukiah broke a record of 106 degrees. uh, And that means... uh, all kinds of things it means we you know humans have to do things to keep themselves safe and 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 to keep us from developing heat stroke but the same thing applies for our pets and our pets need us to help them with that because they can't always keep themselves safe depending on what an environment we put them in and so i'd like to share with you some tips uh, that I've collected from various websites, primarily from the Humane Society uh, website. Uh, if you want to check them out yourself, humanesociety.org, uh, and in their resource section, you will find an article about keeping pets safe in the heat. And let me just share some of that information because it, it bears sharing every year, just, you know, like if you're new to to having a pet, or it, 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 you know, sometimes we just don't think about some of these things. So, um, summer can definitely be dangerous for pets. Uh, temperatures, humidity, uh, over um, uh, over you know, over exertion—those are all issues that uh, you know that that become more serious if the temperature is climbs into the into the upper 80s and 90s so the one the most important thing and the thing that that really gets to me and that i keep seeing and that is just so dangerous is never leave your pets in a parked car even with the windows down even for just a minute to run to the mailbox um because you don't know what's going to happen between the car and the mailbox and you might not be back in a minute. And, you know, I have to include myself in that. You know, I figure I'm right next to the car. I'm just going to drop something into a mailbox. But if you have to leave your car and you have to leave your pet in the car, that's not a good idea. Um, Even if you have the car running and the air conditioning on, uh, on a warm day, temperatures inside a vehicle can rise rapidly to dangerous levels. On, For example, on an 85-degree day, and that's kind of a balmy day here. That's not even very hot for our climate, the temperature inside a car with the windows open slightly can reach 110 minutes. After 30 minutes, the temperature will reach 120 degrees. And, you know, you realize that that's way too hot. Uh, the pet, your pet may suffer irreversible organ damage or it could die. Um, if you want to uh, learn how to help a pet that that's left in the car, By taking action uh, or or calling for help, um, there is a PDF that you can download from the Humane Society website, again, humanesociety.org in their resource section. And you may know that there is a California law that's been on the books for a couple of years. That is, as I understand it, and I'm not a lawyer, so please check this out yourself, but as I understand it, you could actually break uh, a car window if, you've, if, if you uh, are afraid that there's a pet in there in immediate danger. Like I said, check that out. Um, I think that's what the current law says. Um, so don't ever leave pets in a car. And of course, especially in a locked car where nobody can help them if they need help. Humidity is is not really an issue in in our climate in the summer, but there is there is this rule that says um, um, if the humidity and the temperature add up to more than 150 de- 150, so you know like said let's say 60 um, percent humidity and 90 90 degrees temperature, then it's probably not a good idea to take your pet for a long strenuous walk or you know or to play. long frisbee games or to to do a lot of ball tossing because pets um, uh, evaporate moisture from their lungs uh, and this takes heat away from their body and if the humidity is too high they're unable to cool themselves and their temperature will skyrocket to dangerous levels very quickly. Um, A dog's temperature should never reach over 104 degrees. If if it does, um, you need to treat your pet for a heat stroke. Um, And there are again, uh, there's again information on the Humane Society website about what to do if your pet has a heat stroke. And if I have time before nine twenty, I'll share some of that information here as well. So, if it is a hot day, as I mentioned before, limit exercise take care when exercising your pet adjust the intensity and the duration of the exercise in accordance to the temperature on very hot days limit exercise to early morning or evening hours and be especially careful with pets with white colored ears who are more susceptible to skin cancer and short-nosed pets who typically have difficulty breathing again um oh i've mentioned this before Asphalt gets very hot and can burn your pet's paws, especially if your pet is a puppy and they have not formed this thick skin on their paws yet. Oh, and always carry water with you to keep your dog from dehydrating. And of course, walk as much as possible on the grass. Uh, even sand on the beach on a very hot day can get very, very hot for your pet to walk on uh, without booties. There are booties that you can put on a dog if your pet will tolerate it. Not all pets will tolerate it, but uh, those who will, you could uh, put protective booties on them that are made especially for dogs to protect their feet from heat and other, other dangerous surfaces. Don't rely on a fan. Uh, If you think uh, you can use a fan to cool your pets, um, fans can cool humans, but for example, dogs sweat primarily through their feet and fans don't cool off pets as effectively as they do people. Provide ample shade and water. Anytime your pet is outside, make sure they have protection from heat and sun and they have plenty of fresh, cool water. In heat waves, you could add a little bit of ice to the water, if possible, uh, just to keep the water from heating up too much. And uh, tree shade and tarps are ideal because they don't obstruct airflow. A doghouse does not provide relief from heat. In fact, it makes it worse because the heat just sort of gets trapped inside the doghouse. Um, Pay attention to cooling your pet inside and out. You could uh, there's there's a bunch of recipes on the internet for uh, do-it-yourself popsicles for your dog that you can make, and of course always 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 provide plenty of water, so that uh, your pets can stay hydrated. But you could but you you know they could they could you could also wet down their fur. Although I have heard that uh, some dogs who have especially the kind of double or triple coated uh, f- uh, fur with lots of undercoating. Actually, wetting them down can can make them be hotter. I don't know if that's true or not, but I have read about that. So, I don't know whether uh, the advice is to actually hose down your pets, but definitely keeping them in the shade and providing them with plenty of water to drink. Um, the 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 Humane Society website also talks about a cooling body wrap vest or mat. That you could put on your pet uh, to soak these products in cool water, and they'll still cool and dry. Um, if your dog doesn't find baths stressful, see if they enjoy a cooling soak. Uh, that might be. Uh, I'm. I would be a little careful with my pet if it were my, my pet. I put about putting vests or mats on the on the pet, even if they're cooling, because they simply. They talk about here in the Humane Society website. And now just finally in the last few minutes that we have uh, I want to talk about um, how you can recognize signs of heat stroke in your pet because just like humans, pets can suffer heat stroke. Some signs of heat stroke are heavy panting, glazed eyes, a rapid heartbeat, difficulty breathing, excessive thirst, lethargy, Fever, dizziness, lack of coordination, profuse salivation, vomiting, a deep red or purple tongue, and seizure and unconsciousness. And hopefully it will never get to that point. Uh, Animals are at particular risk for heat stroke if they are very old, very young are overweight, are not conditioned to prolonged exercise or have heart or respiratory disease. And then some breeds of dogs like boxers, pugs, shih tzus, and other dogs and cats with short muzzles will have a much harder time breathing in extreme heat. Here's what you can do if you recognize signs of heat stroke in your pet. Move your pet into the shade or an air-conditioned area. Apply ice packs or cold towels to their head, neck, and chest, or run cool water over them. Let them drink small amounts of cool water or lick ice cubes. Take them directly to a veterinarian. And also, you might want to prepare... For power outages, uh, have a disaster plan to keep your pets safe from heat stroke and other temperature related uh, trouble. And while we are at the topic of disaster plan, of course, you know, the, uh, the always uh, topical topic of wildfires, it is wildfire season. And uh, it's very, very important to have a plan for what you will do with your pets and with your animals in general. Should there be a fire on the horizon, or should you be become aware of a fire in your area? Um, there's all kinds of amazing information about how to prepare not only your animals but yourself and your home for wildfires at a website called ReadyForWildfire.org, um, and that's the Cal Fire website. Uh, also, if you look, uh, if you Google Mendocino Fire Safe Council, they also have a website. And on there, you will find lots of information about how to uh, uh, keep your pets safe, uh, how to prepare your pets. For example, one really, really useful skill to teach your pets is is to be okay and comfortable in a crate because they might have to spend some time in a, in a crate uh, if there is. An emergency interviewing people about what happens during fires is uh, teach your large farm animals to go into a trailer even under stress uh, you know some people were unable to rescue their animals uh, or their farm animals because they ran away and they weren't able to get them into trailers or into crates so that's a um uh, Another, another uh, skill, uh, you know, that can be useful in, in an emergency, not just during fire, but also, you know, if there's earthquake. There's, a, there's uh, one other item, and that is um, whether or not to shave a long-haired dog in the summer. Um, there's some, some discussion about that. Um, I've, I've had border collars uh, um, for many years, and I have shaved the ones that have really, really thick coats, in the summer but i've also heard in and it, and, it, and i felt that it does help them to stay cool but it the hair also protects them from the sun's harmful rays and so you know shaving a dog's fur may, could make them more vulnerable to a litany of heat related uh, complications and sunburn so use your own judgment about whether you're going to shave your dog and maybe read up some more uh, on reputable internet websites like the AASPCA or the Humane Society or some veterinary websites to see if whether you know that's a good idea for your dog or not. Um, again, I want to I want to reiterate: never, never, never leave your car your your animal in a in a hot car uh, in. As well, I I've already given you this the stats about how quickly. A car can heat up, even with the windows rolled down. And I've talked about how to protect your dog's paws. Um, I'm just scrolling through to see if there's anything that I forgot to mention in the last couple of minutes that we have here on Wild dog Living. Um, yeah, uh, there's one more thing, uh, and that is uh, water activities. In in the especially later in the summer, we often get uh, algae problems in lakes and streams around here, and sometimes even in the shallower parts of the ocean. So that's something to be aware of, and that might be a particular problem this year because there is so little water in our in our lakes and streams, and reservoirs that they it, the water there will heat up earlier and therefore provide. Uh, a suitable environment for algae growth earlier in the summer. So monitor what the water that you are around, and if you know if it looks like it has a lot of algae growth, you might not want to ha- allow your pet to go into it because some of this um, algae can be toxic. All right, so I'm I'm going to now switch gears and let you know again you are listening to Wild Oak Living. And this program is all about sustainable living and developing community in Mendocino County and beyond. So I always try to do a sort of a mix of of helpful topics uh, and and then often an, an interview with an author. And the author that is hopefully going to... ah there he is the author that is just joining us now is Chuck Collins. Welcome, Chuck. Nice to have you on Wild Oak Living. Thanks for joining us this morning. I realized—I realized Peter Bermudas, your agent, asked me uh, uh, reminded me that we've actually we've actually been on the radio together several years ago uh, when you when you were doing the book tour for a book that you wrote with Bill Gates Jr. I mean, with Bill Gates Senior, the the father of of Bill Gates. That was a while ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Wealth in our commonwealth: a case for taxing inherited fortunes. I re- I remember that clearly now. Now that Peter reminded me about it. <laughs> well, welcome, Chuck. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I know I know you've been really really busy with with your new book. I just want to give our listeners a little bit of background about you and about your book. Uh, Chuck Collins is. Uh, The director of the Program on Inequality and the Common Good at the Institute for Policy, co-editor of inequality.org. He is an expert on U.S. inequality and the racial wealth divide. He co-founded Wealth for the Common Good, a network of business leaders, high-income households, and partners working together to produce Uh, I'm sorry, to promote Shared Prosperity and Fair Taxation, as well as United for a Fair Economy, an organization focused on raising the profile of the inequality issue and supporting uh, popular education and organizing efforts to address it. My guest, Chuck Collins, is the author of numerous books and reports, including Burn on Third Base. Uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) I'm sorry, Born on Third Base, One Percenter Makes the Case for Tackling Inequality, also bringing wealth home and committing to the common good 99 to 1 how wealth inequality is wrecking the world and what can we do about it and as i said uh, the book that you wrote with uh, bill gates senior wealth and our commonwealth and i just want to give a little bit of uh, information that uh, from from the publisher and uh, uh, about your book because i think it'll help us set the stage for the for this conversation um, despite ending in despite enduring the worst economic crisis since the greatest depression, um, the future looks bright for America's billionaires, while the elite club boasted some 614 members with a total worth of 2.95 trillion back in mid-March of last year when the pandemic began their ranks have since grown to 657 sporting a combined wealth of 4.2 trillion so almost doubled how have billionaires been able to grow their fortunes while well, most of us have simply been trying to hang on This is the subject of my guest's book today, The The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to hide Trillions. Um, My guest uh, and inequality expert and former Oscar Mayer heir, Chuck Collins, introduces us to the secret army of financial and legal professionals who constitute what he calls the Wealth Defense Industry, or WDI, helping the top 0.01% to protect and perpetuate their fortunes. He makes, uh, if if you think that 0.01%, well, why do we care? That's just, you know, that's, that's, that's such a small number. <laughs> well, how can that be important? Well, if you think that's ins- insignificant, researchers estimate that 10 to 12 percent of the world's wealth, or 32 trillion dollars, and now just imagine 32 trillion. People are getting, you know, people are raising the question about whether whether Joe Biden should be spending two trillion dollars. And here we are talking about 32 trillion dollars. Dollars is now hidden through a combination of tax haven secrecy jurisdictions shell companies opaque trusts and other mechanisms and it is the bankers lawyers wealth managers accountants and various species of consultants to the wealth defense industry that make this all possible and we're going to talk today about why that's important uh, what problems is is that causing and you know anything else that you want to share with us about this uh, incredibly important topic. Again, welcome to Collins to Wildlife Living.
1: Thanks for having me. This is fun. Can
0: Can you take us uh, uh, back and maybe redraw the path for us? You know that took you from being the heir to the Oscar Mayer fortune to what you do today, and and to your focus on the people that make it possible for the you know the the zero point zero one percent to hide their wealth.
1: Yeah, there's 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 two threads there. One is that at a pretty young age, I started to believe that the whole idea that people should in, would inherit so much wealth uh, without having to work uh, just seemed like a bad idea. It seemed like a bad idea for for children, <laughs> and it seemed like a bad idea for society to have inherited wealth dynasties over multiple generations. Uh, so. I didn't really want to have any part of that. The other thread is when you grow up, as I did, you know, born on third base, uh, there are these advisors. There are the money and financial advisors that sort of surround wealthy people, and they have a particular point of view. Uh, They have a bias, if you will, toward unlimited accumulation, meaning, you know, the bigger, the better. The more you accumulate, the more. Therefore, the less you pay in taxes, the more, more you move into trusts, uh, the better. And the idea that the goal is to pass on as much wealth as possible to the next generation. So they, there's a bias toward dynasties. And these these people have a lot of influence uh, over the lives of wealthy people. So those two life experiences brought me to this topic, which is, who are these people that get up every morning and uh, they're not driving buses. They're not uh, digging holes to put in, you know, wells or whatever. They're helping the richest people in the world hide their money. And uh, they're they're like the accomplices. They're the drivers of the getaway car uh, in the great heist of, of wealth.
0: Can we talk, before we talk about how these people help you know create the situation and perpetuate the situation um, can we talk about why that is a problem what 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 kind of problems do we as the 99% uh, experience as a result of this hidden wealth
1: yeah the first problem is when wealthy people avoid paying taxes they shift the responsibility onto everyone else so uh we the 99 percent taxpayers are picking up the slack if you will we're paying for caring for veterans and taking care of uh, infrastructure and and the like so uh that's one the other is when and we're really talking about very wealthy people we're not we're t- uh, the focus of my book and f- is really people with like 30 million dollars All the way up to the billionaires. So it's really this tiny one tenth of 1%. And the more the power and wealth that kind of accrues to them, the bigger the threat it is to our democratic institutions. Because they, you know, that level of wealth is the power to shape the rules, the power to influence legislation, uh, the power to pay wealth defense industry people to help them hide their money. So it's fundamentally a threat to our democratic, to the extent we have any kind of functioning democracy, it is a further threat to that.
0: And one of the things that you talk about is that that um, these people are not necessarily beholden or feel connected to or responsible for a particular state or a particular uh, system, right? Because they can basically be anywhere.
1: Yeah, they, they the, the super rich really are, globalized their wealth is globalized they move it around to the lowest tax jurisdictions what's interesting is people still like to be in the same they like to be with other wealthy people in the same place so there are these sort of clusters but the reality is uh, they can move their wealth with the with the click of a keyboard Um, and so they're less rooted and less maybe uh accountable to a place
0: when did, did is is the is the um, the ability to hide your wealth and the ability to uh, move your money around and and also to um, to not you know to not obviously to not then have to pay taxes on it because you're never you're never within a jurisdiction that's going to tax you um, is that is that a new thing or has it gotten worse So what what's the history on that
1: That's a great question. I mean. As long as there's been taxes, uh, we probably, you know, going back to ancient Greece, you know, there's probably been people who have figured out how to reduce or avoid their taxes uh, or hide some of their treasure or bury it in a wall or put it in a mattress or whatever. But what I'm noticing is there's, in the last 15 years, there's been a huge acceleration of money moving to the shadows. Uh we, we know this because of some leaks, you know, leaks like the Panama Papers where, you know, uh, the antics of one law firm in Panama gets exposed. We know it from the number of family offices, which are kind of the way wealthy people manage their money. Has gone, You know, there were maybe uh, 3,000 family offices uh, 20 years ago. Now there's almost 10,000. We we kind of can see the chatter within this wealth management industry, which just keeps growing. And again, these are people who work for the richest one-tenth of one percent, who work for the billionaire class. So in some ways, it's an old trend, but I would point out that the pace and sophistication uh, is growing. Oh, another indicator is the number of people who use certain kinds of trusts to kind of put their money outside the reach of taxes. So there's just been a, picking, the pace has picked up, I guess.
0: Let me just take a moment to let our listeners know that you are listening to Wild Oak Living, the program about sustainable living and building community in Mendocino County and beyond. This is Johanna Wild Oak and this program comes to you every other Thursday. From 9 to 10 a.m. And today I am honored to have as my guest, Chuck Collins, and we're talking about his book, The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to Hide Trillions. Um, and this is, uh, you know, all all about the the whole topic of the wealth defense industry and the inequality that is created by hiding wealth and not paying taxes on wealth. And of course, there's there's other aspects that play into it. So, you know, racial aspects. Um, um, let's talk about what what is the core of your book. Let's talk about how you know this this. Um, Wealth defense industry. How are they helping people hide their money, and and why is that a you know how is that how does that impact the rest of us, and and is there anything we can do about it? I know that's a big question, but yeah. we have an hour to answer it.
1: <laughs> no, that's good. That's a good question. I mean, just first off, you know, these the wealth defense industry uh, are the professional tax attorneys, accountants people who uh, manage money, people who work for family offices. So they're usually trained professionals that are employed. As I say, they're paid millions to hide trillions. Um, and they have a bunch of tools in their toolbox. They, they have the use of offshore bank accounts, meaning you can, people who, uh, as, you, as you said, Johanna, people are, are, this is global money, so people are moving their money around in bank accounts and shell companies in different countries i mentioned the word trusts but trusts are an ownership form uh anonymous shell companies where no one has to reveal who the real owners are Uh, so these are all sort of tools that the wealth defense industry uses and and it's not just about reducing taxes although reducing taxes are a really big part of it part of it is Avoiding accountability for one's actions. So I also give examples where people have kind of stolen money from their customers or they are dictators in some mineral resource rich country and they've stolen money from their own people. Uh, they're trying to get that money out of their country, out of their state, out of their name, whatever. Uh, this system makes that possible. Uh, so it's not just affordable you know uh, dodging taxes it's dodging really responsibility you use the word
0: plunder for that
1: yeah and I, i think plunder it you know people talk about global poverty or poverty in the global south latin america africa but it's really important to understand that a lot of poverty is the result of of the plunder of these countries you know uh For every dollar of aid that goes to Africa, you know, three dollars of wealth is plundered by their own elites, by corporations that operate in those countries. And typically they move that to the global north uh, and into private ownership. Um, So, yeah, the combination of of tax dodging, wealth plundering and just sort of uh, dodging responsibility are part of part of who who these these wealth defense industry people uh help
0: when we had the 2008 economic crisis i i had this image of the great sucking sound you know how all of a sudden by creating this crisis wealth was sucked out of the you know, out of the economy where it was available for everyone and where it was available to do good, you know, into the hands of this private um, private wealth elite where it's basically just stored away. It's not doing much good, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good image. Um, and you could kind of, I kind of see or hear that same sound uh, uh, going through this pandemic. You, you get yep. the feeling like there's a huge amount of wealth that's being hoovered up. You know, uh, Nick, we regular people are getting nickel and dimed and squeezed for every fee, and the wealthy, as you said at the outset of the program, you know, have seen, the billionaire class has seen their wealth go up. You know, at this point, like 1.6 trillion dollars over 14 months. You know, um, it does. It you know reminds me of Naomi Klein's concept of disaster capitalism that whenever there's sort of some disaster, whether it's the 2008 economic meltdown or the pandemic that that people some people are very well positioned to take advantage of that situation
0: makes you wonder whether those crises just sort of happen or whether they're helped along
1: yeah but i think but i think the whole idea is people you know the, the 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 rulers the powers that be are positioning themselves for an upside no matter what you know so the market could go down They'll get the upside. If uh, there's a pandemic, they'll find the upside. They're in a position where it's sort of like heads, I win; tails, you lose. Pretty much every time we flip the coin.
0: Right. Um, you talk about the this wealth defense industry. These people that help the the ultra rich hide their money and 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 pull it out. You know, avoid avoid paying taxes on it. That could, where, whereas the tax money could be used to do some good for the society that, that they, after all, benefit from. I mean, you know, they also they also drive their cars on roads and they send their kids to school, etc. Although it's probably going to be a private school, but still, you know, that everybody, including the ultra rich, benefits from from infrastructure, and yet it's it seems like they're not paying their share. Um, but you talk you talk about how. Not everybody who works in this wealth defense industry is sort of all on board with, with what they're doing. Uh, and there are some, some people who work in that industry who want to see things different. And there are, there are even wealthy people, including yourself. You know, you were formerly a wealthy person um, and you decided to renounce your wealth. I wonder if you want to talk a bit about that, you know, who, who really want to want to change things and who, who would like things to go in a different direction
1: yeah um, well um, I would it, it, it sort of goes to your larger question of what we can do about it and I and I totally understand if people are listening to us talk they may be feeling a little bit discouraged like oh you know first of all isn't this you know haven't the rich always had their own rigged rules and you know is there any way we can change this but part of what I want to get across is the system is cracking. It's cracking from within, and there's a bunch of things that we can do about this that are not insurmountable. And actually, there's some interesting good news. But let me start with, first of all, there are wealthy people uh, who believe that they should pay their fair share of taxes. There are wealthy people, and they're organized into groups like the Patriotic Millionaires and others, and they're actually lobbying today you know, for Joe to President Biden and Congress to increase taxes on the wealthy. There are people who work in this wealth defense industry who have decided they don't like what they're doing. They feel like, uh, you know, they're helping the richest people in the world get richer, and they're not really helping the rest of humanity. And some of them are leaking information. They're becoming whistleblowers. They're helping lawmakers write rules to shut down some of these Tax dodges. Uh, I've been actually working with some of those former wealth defense industry people. They're at the end of their li- careers, and they're saying, "I don't want to. I want to fix the system now." So, you know, part of how change happens is it looks like a wall, but actually there are these little cracks in the wall now, and so you know, and you have. Uh, well in fact i just talked to a wealth advisor in london who's changing her business to help wealthy people pay their fair share taxes and figure out how to give away their money in a way that would make society better for everybody including wealthy people who want to live in a decent society too so that's one form of crack now i'm not saying we should wait for rich people to grow a conscience or for defectors but it's it's part of the social change process there's you know really is about changing the rules and that's that's as important or more important really but just to give give a sign of hope that it's not not it's not monolithic not everybody's uh with the program if you will
0: and you talked about uh do you see this this movement of um wealthy people who want to uh do things differently with their money do you see this to be a growing movement
1: it is, and particularly among younger people, uh, there's a whole network called resource generation. People who are under 35. Um, some of them are entrepreneurs, and they, you know, won the lottery by starting a successful company. Some of them are uh, inheritors, people who just, uh, you know, picked particularly picked wealthy parents, uh, meaning that they were just born lucky in that sense, um, and they are among the most outspoken about the problems of the system you know and they would say look who wants you know we have some big problems in our society we have a ecological crisis we have entrenched inequality we have a racial wealth divide they want to be part of the solution they don't want to be part of making it worse um and so i i I think that's a really positive trend uh in this conversation
0: do you also see um that even those wealthy people who might not be in that group, you know, of being concerned and wanting to do things differently, but do you see them uh, sort of confidently thinking, oh, this is never going to change? Or, or are they worried with by all this discussion about inequality?
1: Uh, you know, I think that they're, they're worried. Um, or they recognize they need to be part of the solution and not a barrier to the solution. I mean... It's, it's it's hard to ignore, particularly coming out of this pandemic, the extreme levels of inequality and the resentments that that is creating um, and the seeds the, the, that are being sowed uh, for change. Um, so, yeah, there are wealthy people there who are saying, uh-oh, they're going to come and try to tax my wealth. Uh, I'm going to move more of it to the shadows. That's one response. I'm going to hire You know, the wealth defense industry, I'm going to buy a property in some remote location. Um, That's one response. And there's way more chatter and activity happening there. But there's also the, well, you know what? Uh, There is no other planet we can go to. Uh, You know, the ecological crisis is not going to be confined. Uh, You know, the rich, there's only so much you can opt out of that one. Um, so we got to be rejoin humanity here and try to fix these problems. Uh, so, but I, I think your your question is, yeah, there's 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 some growing awareness and growing concern.
0: I'd like to remind our listeners that you are listening to Wild Oak Living. This is Johanna Weldock uh, bringing you this program every other Thursday from nine to ten a.m. And today my guest is Chuck Collins. He's the author of the Wealth Orders. How billionaires pay millions to hide trillions, and we are talking about the topic of uh, enabling the hiding of wealth around the globe of, of the ultra rich. Um, one of the things that when we talked about the the, the problems that that um, that are create that are created, you know, you listed inequality and racial divides and things. Uh, one of the ways that these people have to do something with their money, um, and one of the things that they do is they invest uh, in things like land and real estate, and especially uh, urban real estate. Although some billionaires have also bought up, you know, parts of whole countries, like um, what's his name, Ted. Uh, I'm forgetting his last name. The guy who was married to Jane Fonda.
1: Ted Turner. Yeah. Ted
0: Turner. Right. <laughs> Um, but uh, and that this is creating this is exacerbating what is already a really serious uh, shortage of housing of affordable housing in cities i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that
1: yeah and and you part of what's going on here is so much wealth is gushing up to this richest not just the one percent but the richest one tenth of one percent and this is where you sort of have to Get into your inner billionaire here. Well, you have a bill, Imagine you have a billion dollars. You can't just park it all in one place. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, as they say. You're going to have some over here in the stock market. You're going to have some over here in bonds. But pretty soon you're going to want to also have it in other, what the rich call, other asset classes. So you're going to spread it around. You want to have some in land and real estate and jewelry and maybe cryptocurrency and art so in every area rich people are funneling their money in in a way that's disrupting driving up the cost and housing is one of those areas so lots of cities you know if you go down to san francisco or you go up to seattle portland if you're on the east coast even denver austin these midwestern and mountain cities are seeing not just gentrification not just rich people bidding up, but global money coming into the U.S. The U.S. is a really attractive place. If you're hiding money, if you're a Russian oligarch or a dictator or whatever, to park your money. And so that's where it's like wrecking the lives of ordinary people because, you know, where I live in Boston, there's like all these luxury towers going up, all these condominiums. These aren't for people to live in. They're like wealth storage units. They're like just parking their money because they want their money spread out in lots of different ways and they're hedging against ups and downs in the market. So owning land and housing is one of your ways you diversify your investing. So this is not a problem that most people have, but for billionaires it's a, it's a problem. And the fact that they have so much money means it's actually affecting the rest of us when we're just trying to find an affordable place to live,
0: I'm wondering if I if I could ask you a personal question. You are the heir of the Oscar Mayer fortune, and you decided to not only renounce you know the to not only renounce the the income from your fortune, which you know which some some people you know. Uh, um, have chastised you for the fact that not only did you renounce the income of your fortune, but you actually gave away the principle of your inheritance. Um, and I guess I'm wondering, what made you decide to do that? And did you ever regret it? In terms of you know, power, wealth is power.
1: Um, well, uh, you know, as I said at the beginning, I just didn't want to be part of a system that had these gross inequalities and inheritances and uh, as an a kind of important elder said to me at one point you know uh, having that money wealth is is not a terminal condition you can actually do something about that you know um, but uh, you know and I have no regrets I think um, you know I raised my children to that they, they, they you know they did not grow up with the sort of same circumstances I did and I think they're better off because of it. Um, you know, that's the thing that parent, parents are, you know, we're trying to do the best we can for our children. My my parents did the best, you know, they they're they were trying to do the best they could for me, in that case, you know, passing on wealth. Um, but I actually think it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing for one's development of one's own identity and vocation. Uh, and it's not a good thing for society to have. And now here we are, you know, 2021 with these huge wealthy dynastic families i mean we're we're looking at i call them the america's 50 families you know the walton family now in third fourth generation 250 billion dollars in one family how can that be good for a healthy socially mobile democratic society um so so yeah that my my you know i don't have any the, the other thing i should say though is i gave away that wealth but there's so much other privilege that kind of is hardwired into my life. I'm white and I'm male, and I have a debt-free higher college education, and I have, you know, a certain amount of financial literacy, and so one thing I realized, it took me a little while, you know, after I made that decision in my mid-20s to realize, oh, I have a lot of other advantages uh, that other people don't have, so even though I don't maybe have the money, I still have all these other vestiges of advantage and real real privilege
0: yeah i guess the, the background of my question my dream has always been i want to be a philanthropist <laughs> and that's the only reason i would want you know that yeah. kind of wealth is so that i can use it to do good um sort of like a miniature version of scott mckenzie of mckenzie scott um, yeah. <laughs> so i guess that was the background of my question ah
1: well that's a really interesting point um i was you know i actually think giving away money for social change is really meaningful work and uh and is useful and makes a difference i did not think that i as an individual should be the one to make those decisions or to play god with that money so that money is was given to foundations, to social change charity groups, some of which lives on, and other other people are making the decisions. Uh, so I'm just not the one making the decision. Um, I am a very big skeptic of what I would call billionaire philanthropy. I think you know philanthropy supporting a vibrant nonprofit independent sector, supporting great community radio and other things, is you know, really important, but I do worry now that we're seeing the expansion of very, very super wealthy people who use their philanthropy as an extension of their power and influence, and so we, we're seeing the decline of small donor giving. And by the way, at my project at the Institute for Policy Studies, we have a whole program that looks at how. Philanthropy is being affected by inequality, how it's becoming more top-heavy. And we would love it if more people could be philanthropists and more working folks and middle-class folks. But the whole idea that people take money that they should be paying for taxes and they get a huge tax deduction, they put the money in a private foundation that just lives on forever, I don't think that's a good use of the taxpayer dollar, if you will. Um, so I admire your aspiration. I admire Mackenzie Scott because she's actually approaching it quite differently. She, first of all, you know, got her wealth through divorce. Well, she was very involved though, I'm sure, in aspects of the creation of Amazon. And she's a totally, totally disrupting it. She's showing the old boys how, sh- how it should be done. She's not creating this big foundation that her great-unborn great-grandchildren will still be giving the money away. She's like, I'm going to, quote, empty the vault. Mm -hmm. And she gave away $6 billion last year without a big foundation. She gave it away largely without strings attached. She did some initial due diligence to make sure the groups were credible and doing good work. But then she moved the money rapidly without a lot of bureaucracy uh you know whereas some of these other billionaires it's taken them you know decades to give away one billion and they have 150 staff figuring out how to do it right so uh i think she's a good role model for whether you're a small donor or a big donor um but i'm i think we should be skeptical of what i would call big philanthropy right now Mm. Sorry for that long answer, but uh, oh, I guess absolutely. I have some opinions on this
0: topic. <laughs> <laughs> that is very interesting, and also for myself in terms of my own vision. Very yeah. interesting. <laughs> Not that, I, that, that I'll ever be as rich as Mac- Mackenzie Scott. Overall, though, well,
1: you never know. Maybe that <laughs> acre of land you're sitting on has uranium on it or something. Who knows?
0: <laughs> or gold or something. Oh, gold, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully yeah.
1: not uranium, yeah.
0: Yeah, right. I'd prefer <laughs> gold.
1: <laughs> the second California gold rush coming to Mendocino.
0: That's right. That's right. And this time it'll be ecologically sound and sustainable <laughs> okay. rather than poisoning the environment. Um, we have only a, a few minutes left, and I'd like to give you uh, – we have five minutes left. Thank you, Eddie. Um I'd like to give you an opportunity to address anything related to this topic that I haven't asked you about. And if we have time, maybe you could give a, a, a summary of the article that you used to close your book, which is a, a fictitious commencement address that you give to the Harvard School of Business.
1: Yeah, I would say the, the other takeaway I would want people to have is we, we, we have an opportunity to close down this hidden wealth system. Um, Right now, the Internal Revenue Service has been decimated in its ability to enforce the laws on the rich. Uh, The IRS has lost its capacity to follow the money, follow the shell games. That's quite intentional. The Republicans and the anti-tax people have worked to defund the IRS. So building up the ability of the IRS to follow the money of the rich is one thing. And that's actually quite, people, there's a lot of support for that. Uh, and President Biden has put forward a proposal to rebuild the capacity of the IRS. We should abolish shell companies. We should say any company has to disclose who their real beneficial owners are. No secret companies. And there is a law in process, and it was passed at the end of last year, called the Corporate Transparency Act, which would require greater transparency we should shut down certain kinds of trusts and tax dodges and again there's a movement to do that currently happening in congress and then finally we should join the the rest of the world particularly the european countries who are cleaning up their own houses and shutting down their hidden wealth systems and together we can create some new standards at the global level so that's my quick you know and and Tell your elected officials that you're appalled that there's one set of rules for the rich and one set of tax rules for everyone else and you want them to shut down the hidden wealth system. Um, and I mentioned that there are cracks in the system and that young people are a really big part of that and I end the book with a commencement address uh, to the Harvard Business School. Uh, I didn't actually I did give a talk at the Harvard Business School, uh, but it wasn't the commencement address, but they can still invite me some at some point. Where I tell the young folks, the graduates, you know, you have the whole world, your whole life ahead of you. Don't work for the billionaires. Don't work for the wealth defense industry. Don't help the already rich get richer. Apply your talents and gifts. You know, apply what the poet Mary Oliver says, your one and only precious life to something other than helping the super rich get richer. And I'm finding that that message really does connect with young people who are wanting to choose meaningful work. Uh, and it's tempting because the rich will pay really well, but don't get suckered onto that path is part of what I say.
0: And and if you do go on that pathway, work work for those who, who want to do things differently. Right? Yeah,
1: or help get some intelligence and then defect and help us close down the hidden wealth system. So, um, Yeah, and I would invite people uh, to... You know, actually, we have a great little website for the book called wealthhoarders.com. We have some really fun videos, some explainer videos, Um, and if people are interested in these issues, I co-edit a website called inequality.org, inequality.org, that has lots of really fun and upbeat news, and here's what's going on. We send out a little weekly newsletter, comes from me, talking about you know, what's going on with these issues of inequality and what can we do together to fix and reverse these inequalities. So invite your listeners to check that out.
0: Well, thank you so much, Chuck Collins. It's been so great to have you on again and to talk about this fascinating topic. Thank you for all the work that you do and thank you for all the difference that you make in the world. Thank
1: you, Johanna. I hope to get to visit Mendocino County sometime this year. That was wonderful. My sister, my sister's up there in Humboldt County, so my favorite thing to do is meander through Mendocino County on the way north. So
0: It, it would be lovely to meet you in person when you're here. That'd be great. Thank you so much for being on Wilder Living this morning. All the best for your book, and all the best for the important work that you do, Chuck Collins.
1: Thanks awesome. to you. Thanks to Eddie. Thank you all.
0: My guest has been Chuck Collins, author of the book, The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to Hide Trillions. Uh, And uh, again, that website, um, wealthhoarders.org. I'm sorry, wealthhoarders.com and inequality.org for further information.